Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast, where each week Pastor Anar Ram and Elder Roger Prather will be diving into the weekly lesson from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The congregation at the College Church has made it their motto to love, grow, and serve. We really want to learn to love more, grow more, and serve more. It is our hope that through these conversations, we can learn to better serve our congregation, our local community, and the world. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you are blessed with today's conversation. Welcome to the College Church Podcast, and we're really honored that we can be a part of your lives here, and we pray this will be a meaningful time for you as you listen to this podcast. My name is Pastor Aina Ram, and with me is... I'm Tom Nicholas. And he is the pastor chaplain at South Lake Esther Academy. And to my right is... Roger Prather. Who is, uh, wears many hats, one of which is the one of the teachers at SLA. And you are teaching... English and journalism. English and journalism. Excellent. Excellent. So we've got some excellent minds around the table here with a lot of real-world experience in the sense that you're interacting with youth all day long. So why don't we begin with a word of prayer as we get into lesson number 13. I love the title. It's called Waging Peace. And in a time of when there's world wars going on, there are invisible wars going on in our country here, and so many things going on, it's good that we are called to wage peace, not war. So on that note, uh, Roger, would you pray for us as we start? Sure. Father in heaven, we thank you as always for the opportunity and the freedom to come together and discuss your word. We thank you for the gift of your word. And I uh, pray that you will enlighten our minds, open our minds and our hearts, help our discussion here to be a blessing, not only to those of us in this room, but those who hear this online, whether it's next week, the week of the lesson, or 10 years from now, I pray that it's a blessing. And I pray that we will accurately represent your thoughts and your desires for us. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to just ask you guys here, you know, words today are cheap. They mean nothing virtually, you know, quite literally. And there's very few people who, when they say something, they mean it. So the author entitled this chapter, Waging Peace. How do you feel about that? About the concept that we are called to wage peace and are we willing to and we're going to get into the armor of god here in a little bit are we willing to put on that kind of combat armor as we go into hostile territory which could be in a christian setting could be in a worldly setting could be in wherever and uh, it's a really intriguing title so any thoughts about this guys yeah, I was thinking about how that title is built off of Ephesians 5, uh, several chapters back, mm-hmm. uh, several lessons back. How in chapter 5, he's, he's talking about living a, how he's talking about living a, a wise life, how, yeah. being wise. And what, that, and what that is, you know, you said talk is cheap. Well, yeah. he says that in chapter 5. You know, talk is cheap, doesn't have any value, words are vain. Uh, but the the way how we are wise and bring light to the world, the way how we diffuse darkness, is to the by the way that we live our life. It's that waging of peace and righteousness. 
And so, yeah, I, I love that title, but it's built on, on a concept that we, that we find back in chapter five. And I think it, it's almost as if we, to go along with what you're saying, we of anyone in this world who has license and inner fortitude and strength and power to wage peace, it is the believer in Christ. Mm. Because if we really believe this and put our money where our mouth is, we realize, hey, death can't even stop God's will because we see that in the cross and the crucifixion and the, the resurrection of Christ. So it's, it's like there, we know something, we have something that other people don't have. Roger, Are you asking you, me to... About the, the waging peace I think title. it's an example of irony because when we usually use that word waging, yep. especially in the context with the guy with the sword and armor, like in the Sabbath school lesson, you, you expect to hear war. And so that implies, what that implies is that we expect peace to be something, an absence of something, right? right? Peace is the absence of war. What this title would suggest is that war is actually the absence of peace. Peace is what we wage. War mm -hmm. is what happens when we stop actively working towards peace. Yeah. Peace takes action. And what we do is we take a step back and say, well, if we do nothing, then we have peace. No, 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 no. That's not what the gospel tells us to do. Your father in heaven is working and you should be working also. That's kind of the way I would take. So and I like what you're saying, Roger, because do you mean to tell me that if a two people have a fight and they just decide to avoid each other, that isn't peace, is it? No, it's just, that's just the absence of conflict. That's peace exactly isn't the it. absence of conflict. Peace is, an act, peace is an activity. Well, and peace has to be actively sought for, too. You know, just avoiding a, a conflict makes a situation worse, where, right. whereas when we confront it, uh, we, we have opportunity to bring peace to what, to, uh, to what was a difficult circumstance. Yep, right. So peace is hard fought for. You know, right, yeah. and that's, yeah. like, you think of the John Lennon song, right? The, the war protest song and all we're saying is give peace a chance as if if we just stop doing something mm -hmm. peace will just naturally flow in and i don't that's not what the bible teaches right and we're a seventh-day adventist so that's not what the great controversy teaches right conflict has been built into the world the way we experience it and so to overcome that conflict requires effort and labor absolutely so and that kind of leads us into our lesson because uh, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, and I'm wondering if, Tom, you're the, you're the new person at the table. Could you read? Um, I know. Can we just point that out? We've never had Pastor Tom with us. I right? thought we On have a, had once. No. No? no yeah, today's my first day. This is your rookie. You are pastor. really a rookie. I'm that's, a rookie. That's why yeah. I was trying to make oh. the applause button work, because I was going to be like, it's our, his first time on our podcast. Maybe it's working now. Which We've was been the... trying so long. I don't know. Nah. Whatever whatever sound effect you get. Oh, me menu. Maybe, well, if we press the wrong button, yeah, we're going to mess it all up. Let's not press the button. Say, no, Megan, not... can you uh, yeah. insert applause track here? <laughs> Ready? Pastor Tom's first appearance on the College Church Sabbath School podcast. Fanfare, fanfare, fanfare. We're so happy. This is something we've been trying, but, you know, Pastor Tom's a busy guy. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for being here. Thanks. Yes, yes. And so if you would read Ephesians chapter 6, um, 10 through, the flow really keeps going all the way to 17. 
Sure, absolutely. And I'll be reading from the, let me look, I think it's the NIV. New King James. New King James, that's New fine. King James, yeah. That's fine. Uh, this this uh, Bible says, uh, ver- starting verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the, and in the power of his might. Mm-hmm. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil. Mm-hmm. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. And and I want to ask a question that I don't really think was really addressed in the lesson. And, and of course, this opens a big door. But what exactly are the flaming arrows of the evil one? What are they? And And maybe we can identify them a little bit as we go through the armor that we're supposed to put on. But it's easy to say, well, it's, uh, you know, drugs, alcohol, you know, immoral sex. That's easy. But I think it's the devil is really scheming. And in verse 12, the devil's schemes. Scheming implies planning, deliberate, you know, espionage, whatever we want to put in there. But it's just a very, very intentional and so many of the sins that we mentioned, you know, drinking, drugs, etc. They're 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 not really. Yeah, people get hooked on them through a scheme. But for ninety, I'm just picking that random number. But ninety-five percent. Now let's go to eighty percent of Christians. Uh, these really, you know, alcohol and drugs, immoral sex isn't really even on the radar. But there are the things on the radar, our pride, our self, what's the word I'm trying to find, sanctimoniousness, you know, and, and, and uh, judgmentalism. I mean, Christ dealt with this in the Sermon on the Mount, materialism, you know, yeah, you got yourself a new car, but you, why didn't you get the next one? And, and these sort of things that can kind of come in and then of course, well, you may say, well, look, I'm not part of the in-group. And so you're feeling out, you're feeling left out. And so there's a tendency to sort of look down on other people because we are not part of that group. And, um, but anyway, I just want to open that up, you know, thinking about the, the schemes of the devil and, and what are these flaming arrows? Do you guys want to take a stab at it? I mean, I kind of, articulate a few things, but what else is there? Well, I'm just thinking of ancient warfare. What was the purpose of a flaming arrow? It wasn't just so it can pierce your skin, right? The arrow itself can kill you, but even if it misses its human target and lands somewhere near it, it can cause a fire that burns down the infrastructure that supports the enemy's institutions, right? If you're laying yep. siege to a city, 
um, and you have a high wall and you send flaming arrows over that you can't see your targets, mm -hmm. that flaming arrow may land in a thatched roof or something like that. And now that building's going to catch fire and burn down. It's going to burn supplies. It's going to burn foodstuffs and maybe weaponry, whatever. So I, that's kind of how I thought of it. It's flaming because it's not just, we tend to think like that. It's directed directly against me, but it's not really, we're not the devil's target. Right. We're collateral damage or we're a means to the devil's ends, right? The, the devil's ultimate targets are the church and Christ. Mm -hmm. Those are the devil's ultimate targets and he uses us. So those, that's kind of how I see it in my mind. Like he's, he's attacking the infrastructure that supports the church. Sometimes that's people, right? It can, those, mm -hmm. those arrows can pierce our skin, but even if it misses us, it might hit another target and cause a fire that surrounds us, yeah. you know? Yeah, when you're talking about infrastructure, you know, I'm thinking of a of a passage where we're told to um, to tear down the, the the strongholds that he that Satan builds. You know, those strongholds he puts in our minds, the, the, those strongholds in our minds, and we were to have our our minds um, renewed and to have the the mind of Christ you know, yeah. renewed within us. And you know, perhaps this this fiery uh, these fiery darts, these fiery um, arrows, are you know like the if he misses a direct mark, he still has like collateral damage, mm -hmm. you know. And I'm thinking more personally, like what what is he attacking in me? If he misses a direct mark, he still has collateral damage, you know, in me, you know. When we're talking here, uh, we were talking. If I could just, yeah, I was just going to mention forward. one thing. I was going to throw in here, yeah, that I'm thinking about. Uh, you know, obviously we are we differ with our Catholic friends on many, many uh, doctrinal points. But of course, it used to be when, when a person would go to confession, they would say, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. And then, as I've been told, the priest would go through the seven deadly sins. Mm -hmm. Have you committed? There's pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. That's really interesting because that, I mean, to be fair, it covers a lot of bases and would cause one to do a lot of sort of internal inventory. And you say, you know, you know what, yeah, sloth, you know, I have not been praying, reading my Bible as I should. Or, you know, um, yeah, lust or greed and, and, and man, I got really, really out of control, angry with my friend or spouse. And, and pride, yeah, pride, I want to, I'm so focused on looking better than what I really am. So it's there's a lot of ways very very scheming ways that the devil comes at us so tom i, I just want to share that well you know and i was thinking about james where he talks about you know yeah. the, the devil our adversary prowls about like a roaring lion i mean yeah. obviously he's he's stalking us he he has an intention to to trip us up and to do more than just trip us up he's looking to devour us to destroy us yeah you know so this so that, that fits into this whole idea he's a scheming yep. adversary yep you know i'm glad you mentioned that tom because um i like to point out that the bible says that the devil goes around like a roaring lion it doesn't say he goes around like a biting lion hmm. see the, the jesus has detoothed the yeah. lion all right, he has detoothed it in a way, and I'm, I'm carrying the metaphor too far, but I, I kind of, just this roaring, like, you know, we're, we're so, uh, you know, we, have, we must remember he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And 
Paul, he starts out the book of Ephesians with this idea. Christ yeah. has been given authority over the principalities and powers, and now he's ending with, here's the principalities and powers he has been granted power over. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I like that bookend. Christ oh, yeah. has already won the victory. You know, so that which we're fighting, he's already won. And that and actually, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say that it actually kind of moves us forward because it points out the utility of fear. Yeah. Yeah. For forces of evil. Fear is a great weapon. Oh, yeah. Because when you are in fear, you make rash decisions, you make bad decisions. You're not thinking clearly, you're not using your reason. And when you look at the inventory, this combat inventory of armor that that Paul lists in the next section that Tom read, <clears throat> you kind of get an idea of like what you were kind of alluding to at the beginning, like the weapons that we have available to us to wage this peace. So why does the devil roar? Because that roaring lion instinctively puts us in a state of fear, which makes makes us susceptible to those those deadly sins that you mentioned makes us susceptible to committing them because we lose our rationality. What makes it less likely for us to do that is I would say, what's the opposite of the seven deadly sins? Yeah, there's the seven virtues and I don't I remember what they the are. Virtue, yeah. Exactly, the yeah. virtues, you know, uh, humility, uh, prudence, humility, temperance, uh, oh man. Kindness maybe? Maybe, I don't remember. I'm actually reading a book about how Greek and Roman ideas of virtue influenced early America and I can't remember, but but that's but that's the thing the opposite are the virtues and so you work at cultivating the virtues you avoid the sins and why why is that important because we're, we're protestants we are we believe in salvation by faith through grace not through works but when you look at that inventory what does satan fear truth righteousness mm -hmm. uh readiness and the gospel of peace uh faith and salvation and god's word amen right what is in and, and that's the thing what is the sword the sword is the lethal thing it's it's an offensive weapon not defensive armor what is it that slays satan god's word god i like that i like that and by the way thanks to smartphones the virtues are charity chastity diligence humility kindness patience temperance so kind of contrast that with the seven deadly sins and contrast that with my my life our lives you know have i been as charitable as i possibly could be chastity diligence have i been as humble as i could be have i been as kind patient and temperance and and um you know we would argue that i would argue too that hey when it's your birthday that one kind of falls by the wayside <laughs> <laughs> Or anniversary, but anyway, my point is, 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 uh, you know, to really search the part of the picture here is to really know the love of God and who we are, and 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 I think that's really uh, something we, we're we're sort of disconnected. By the by the way, when you said fear, Roger, it's true what you said because it, this is so prevalent that you know we've heard of FOMO, fear of missing out. This is what causes people to be obsessive with smartphones. They're on, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever, 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 because they're FOMO, their fear of missing out on something. And fear drives so much. Politicians know this very well. Vote for me and I'll protect you from X, Y, Z. So fear is 
something really powerful and it's a, it's an element that got, that the uh oh we're having technical difficulties actually hardware difficulties so um you know fear it's powerful and sometimes m most of what we do sometimes often what we do is driven out of fear we're trying to avoid fear think if we lock our car doors we lock our homes i have i make it a habit of locking my car doors i go to the grocery store come back i walk to the parking lot first of all you know my car is fine but I would like to say I've never seen, and I can say never seen, anybody walking through a parking lot checking every car door handle. <laughs> I mean, I just never have. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and I know most car locks aren't the kind that stick up, so you can see it. It's, you have, it's, a, it's integrated into the door panel. So I've never seen anybody do that. But yet we are obsessive mm -hmm. because we're afraid someone will come along and take pick on our car and and uh, somehow discover ours out of all these other ones is unlocked. You know, it's it's just a statistical. It's improbable. Anyway, my point can is, I, can is, I can I respond to that? I would sure. like to use that analogy. I know a thing or two about criminals. And um, <laughs> do you want to explain that for no, their? Not I've because he my, is one, but not because I am one. No. but I do go to prison. Uh, no, I spent my whole adult life in. Uh, criminal justice but and i don't have any statistics or anything but what a criminal would do is he, he'll find his mark right there'll yeah. be something about yeah. you that will give away that you're susceptible to that right so yeah you'll leave a valuable so am i going to randomly try a door handle maybe if there's a laptop computer sitting on the front uh seat or something like that if otherwise you see it, but if you see but every most people hide things they put them in the trunk they put the actually value. they don't they don't maybe you have good habits but <laughs> a lot of people it, listen if people if people weren't so careless there wouldn't be as much crime yeah. that's not to remove responsibility from the person committing the crime but right the thing is that uh, uh, an experienced criminal is an ingenious and adept student of human yeah. behavior yeah and so they'll find your mark you'll give something away all of us have behavioral um, um, attributes that give away some of our personality characteristics and so someone you know, criminals are master manipulators, and most of them could probably be really good salesmen if they stopped stealing stuff and tried to earn like an honest living. Yeah. Because they really know how to get in people's heads. A lot of them do, not all of them. Some of them are just sloppy, lazy, drug mm -hmm. addicted, whatever. That's a digression. The point being, they find their mark. Yeah. And what is Satan able to do? Satan's yeah. able to find that mark. You said you started out uh, a little while ago talking about, you know, for a lot of people listening to this, sexual immorality and drunkenness mm -hmm. and things like that probably aren't on the radar, but something is like pride. But if you're listening to this, maybe maybe alcohol is maybe it is one of those things. Maybe sexual immorality right. is one of those things. Whatever it may be, yep. You have these behavioral characteristics that allow Satan to find ways to get into your head, to get into your life. And again, I just want to go back to that. Why practice the virtues? Why cultivate the virtues? Why pay attention to what Paul's saying here in chapter 6 about righteousness and and truth and, and, and acting a certain way, waging peace, to use the title of the lesson. It's because when you cultivate those virtues, you reduce your exposure mm -hmm. to becoming a mark Yep. for, I, for Satan. I got to springboard off what you just said there, because remember who's writing this? It's Paul. And Paul called himself a, didn't he call himself a Pharisee of Pharisees? Mm -hmm. 
So a Pharisee, and this is something I really appreciate George Knight's material on, Pharisees, we, we always often put them down, but they were really, really good people. Yes. And they were really intentional, and they really felt as if you could engineer a perfect spiritual life. Paul comes along. Well, he had his Damascus Rose experience, and he realizes this is utter nonsense. You can't do this the way we thought you could do it. Because the devil is so scheming and so insidious, he comes in from the back door, and yeah, you can you can obey the perfect, you can obey the Big Ten. You can even follow all of the uh, detailed uh, aspects of the Ten Commandments about how far can you walk on the Sabbath, and what's lawful and what's not lawful, and who can you touch, who can't you touch, and 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 if you do touch somebody, what do you do then? So. Paul says, wait a second, at the root of all this, there's something bigger, there's something deeper. And, and he says, that's the issue. And it's that arrow that comes in um, and, and can get you right between the armor, you know? And, and there's that little spot there where it comes in and it's got you. So, and it's interesting, what he tells us is, is uh, I just turned the page here, um, uh, now I keep. I'm in the wrong book. <laughs> That's and not a Bible. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 a comic book. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> well, there's a comic book version of the Bible. There is, isn't there? There's actually there a the Lego action, Bible. The action Bible. Yeah, the Lego Bible yeah. too. Yeah, actually, I I actually looked at it. It's actually pretty detailed. I mean, and it's not a mockery or anything like that. It's Mm-mm. it's literally done. Seriously and and well done. So, yes. I think the yeah. kids of our generation would respond well to more better to that than to, I think than, so than to just the you know yep. the traditional format that you and I are used to. Yeah, yeah. oh definitely. So um, I didn't mean to pull you off topic. here. this is all good. It's all good. So let's just take a quick look at some of the items that uh, we're told here. Oh, can I just I just wanted that's what I I just wanted to say one thing. You talk about the arrow finding that little spot right between the shoulder and the chest plate, the shoulder armor and the chest plate or something like that. We're always looking for the big weapon, Hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We're expecting the Satan to bring out his like Patriot missiles and stuff. But sometimes it just takes a tiny, tiny little arrow that he knows will sneak in between that. Right. And I can tell stories from real life where police officers and stuff, you know, been attacked and, It ends up being fatal. The little twenty-five caliber bullet will go in the shoulder blade and miss the body armor, and mm. you know they end up getting seriously hurt or killed. Satan works the same way, right? He finds in it, he has to have a small and things that we might not be thinking about, right? This little teeny tiny little thing that yeah. we don't think we have to pay attention to because I'm practicing. I'm trying to cultivate the virtues. I'm obeying the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten, as you said, and then we yeah. miss this one itty bitty little thing. That we don't think is significant, and Satan finds a way to be right on target to get in between that armor. It's interesting that because um, you know January sixth was a nightmare for the world essentially, and and um, one of the police officers recently who did survive technically uh, lived through January sixth, but committed suicide later mm-hmm. on, and um, it was determined that his suicide was a result of January sixth. And that uh, you know whatever benefits come from that would 
go to the family. But my point is, is there's those internal issues. There's the, you know, we're familiar with PTSD. What's going on in the mind can actually be worse than what's actually happening to our skin. And, and Paul understood this. I think this is where he's trying to get to it. So it's interesting he says here, I'm going to look at verse 14. Uh, he talks about the truth, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Um, real quick here, what is, <laughs> what is truth, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's interesting, I was reading, that language is Exodus language. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. I am going to lead you out of Egypt. I'm going to lead you out of bondage. The way, the truth, is in life. Isn't it interesting that Jesus leads them out of Egypt. What does he do eventually? Get them to the Mount Sinai. So he's getting to Sinai, gets them out of bondage, brings them to, the, to the, the way, the truth, and then he brings them to the life to Canaan. And there's a beautiful imagery there about what God does with us. And, and it's interesting because I was listening to podcasts and they mentioned that this, the person speaking met a lady I don't know where it was, but she met a lady who said, you know, real freedom is no rules. And, of course, the lady in the podcast said this is a bunch of nonsense, but, you know, that's how she saw it. But that is not the case. That is not the case. Anyway, so truth. Any guys thinking about what's the term, what is truth here? Well, rather than in that case of the woman who said that uh, uh, freedom is no rules, uh, freedom is... Um, uh, is is how, how do I say this? Freedom is freedom from uh, deception. And Christ mm -hmm. brings truth, and that gives us freedom from the deceptions of this world. And that's a big part of what Paul has been talking about up to this point. You know that that those who are in darkness are deceived, and we're not to be speaking deception. We're not to be listening to those who are deceived. You know, we we, we are the light, and we're to to live out the the righteousness. Of Christ, and so I think you know, truth is is that lack of deception. It's that knowledge, that true knowledge, yeah. that comes only through Christ. Yeah. I'm going to add as you're saying that I'm thinking truth is also knowing who made us and why. Who made us and why, and and this is why the narrative of Scripture is so important that it helps us understand. One day God said, "Let us make man in our image." And he creates us, why? To commune with us, to uh, relate to us, to relate to people who actually are free moral agents who want to and desire to have a relationship with him. Um, but anyway, I keep, I'm a, I'm a preacher and, and I just... Preach away. I got, uh, take the mic away, take the mic away. Um, <laughs> did, did, did we answer the question, what is truth? That was Pilate's question. That is, it, that's why I phrase it like that. What is truth? I've answered this question a lot of times. I don't know if people want to hear it again. One more time, Roger. One more time. I revert to Aristotle. That which is A. If you say of A that it is not A, then it is falsehood. If you say of A that it is A, then it is truth. Truth is that which conforms to reality. Right? If it does not conform to reality, then it is not true by definition. That's Aristotle's definition. The Bible conforms to that in a, in a theological sense because who's responsible for creating reality? God. 
Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't conform to God's purpose and plan for reality, then it is by definition untrue. Mm-hmm. Right? That's about as basic as I can get. And I've always used the analogy that it's present. And some people don't like it, but that's okay. I say lots of things people don't like. So the Garden of Eden, right? I'm not saying it's not literally true, but there is deep theological meaning there that we often ignore because we focus on the creation versus evolution stuff. The garden is what? The garden is cultivated, right? There's boundaries. You have to work. You have to prune. You have to weed. You have to do all these things in a garden in order to make it flourish. Outside the garden is what? Wilderness and chaos. Right. These are motifs that right. come in biblical literature throughout the text. Mm-hmm. And coming back to what you said, uh, Tom, about um, knowing what God desires and things like that, like to be outside of God's desires or will is, is untruth. Right. We, we, you're either deceived or you're, you're living according to God's plan. And it's not freedom from. There are certain instances where it's freedom from. But you said you used a good point. That's the negative freedom of being free from deception. But there's the positive freedom of discovering how this garden is put together. How do mm-hmm. I navigate it, right? How, where are the boundaries that I'm supposed to, where are the limits to what I'm supposed to be doing? Because that's true freedom because if you try to exceed the boundaries, you end up bringing yourself into danger because you have exited mm-hmm. into wilderness and chaos. Yep. Right? The other writers, that's not original to me. I get that from a lot of other people. But that is has been really important in my own spiritual journey because you have to you have to understand like god puts limits on me for a reason just like i i put limits on my children because i love them yep right in the school right you have to (laughs) you have to put limits on these kids yep or they'll run crazy and they'll get themselves hurt emotionally physically whatever and god does the same and they will learn nothing yep well sometimes you know you bump you scrape your knee you learn you know put your hand you don't touch a hot stove twice kind of thing but generally speaking we have to but that but again that's learning limits yep and we the satanic deception is there ought not be any limits right 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 and that's, so that's, that's why I think truth, you know, that, that girdle of truth, the belt of truth that goes around your waist, right? It kind of holds everything else hold up. everything together. Right? And so that's why truth comes first, and that's why it's the belt if we're going to go with imagery. You can interpret it a different way, but um, that's kind of how I always... I don't. Again, I don't have any PhD I I, commentators I, I, telling I, me I that. I think but. we need... In this world, we need belt and suspenders, both, all right? <laughs> we need them both. I so. wear both. There together, you go. yeah. I don't buy into that. Like it's one or the other. Like I like you, wearing them you, both together. This is the guy I want to go on a trip with. <laughs> As they say, I, I learned this in the in the seals. They say two is one. You one were in is the none. seals? Oh yeah, you didn't know. You can't see my. <laughs> I read a, wow, I read a, ama- I read a you book. You never I read cease a book. to amaze me. <laughs> um, in our rom chaplain to the Navy seals. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read a whole book about a guy, you know. <laughs> but I like that. Two is one, one is none. You always have a backup, right? you know. But listen, seriously, uh, truth and then uh, breastplate of righteousness in place. That's interesting. A breastplate covers our heart, our chest, our internal organs. And, and of course, the righteousness isn't from ourselves. We don't make this breastplate. It's given to us. We put it on. We put it on before going into battle. Yeah, we have to put it on, though. We do. And that's where it gets really confusing, right? Because you say, well, you you don't earn your salvation. 
But then at the same time, you have to actually get up and do something. Sure. Right? Mm -hmm. You got to be, you got to, you got to cultivate righteousness. But then people so, will come along and say, yeah, but that righteousness, it's just filthy rags. But then, but then Paul says, no, that's your breastplate armor. That's what's going to stop most of those projectiles yeah. that coming your way. Yeah. You know, I think part of what, it, at the core, at the core is a question. Does God really want what's best for me? Do we really believe, John 10, 10, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Do we really, or do we see God, many people do, as a killjoy? Oh, I'm having too much fun. God's going to pay. God's going to make me pay for this later. You know that mentality. Or worse, a tyrant. And worse, yeah, exactly. No, no good reason for asking. Exactly. You know I mean? So, so he gives us. We're put on the the uh, uh, breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the readiness that come from the gospel of peace. That's fa fascinating. Our feet take us to places, and uh, we are ready. Uh, to bring, dare I say, uh, that we're ready to move because of the gospel of peace. I think that's a very powerful image. Will our feet take us? Our feet take us to actively bring peace. As right. we're bringing exactly. the gospel, we're bringing exactly. peace. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We, I, can, I we, think there's a, an element too. But sorry, I didn't mean to. I just want to say this before it goes out of my head. I'm tired. <laughs> it's been a long week. Um, but truth and righteousness, right? You can cultivate those two things, but if your feet aren't ready to take you to do the gospel's work, all that truth and righteousness is sort of useless, mm -hmm. right? And speaking about useless, if you say for a whole month, I am not using my feet at all. And actually, this is what happens to people when they're bed, you know, bedridden and their muscles atrophy and they actually lose the ability to use them. If it's a use it or lose it situation, and today you hear walk, 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 get 7,000, 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 feet step, steps in each day because your feet were designed for walking. Mm -hmm. and, and I like this imagery because he's saying you have peace, so use it, go there enter into this situation that most people wouldn't enter into because you've got peace you've got assurance why for crying out loud in ephesians chapter one he says you are predestined mm -hmm. you are predestined to be the son of the child of god period so if anybody's got license it is a believer john calvin baby there we go. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. Stir the pot. I just hope we entertain people as well as inform them. Well, oh, boy. Edit that out, Megan. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. But it's an important... We, we, we steer away from Calvinism at probably at our own expense because there's something especially in today's era with so much unknowns. Well, we fundamentally misunderstand. Average church member in the pew, I would even say the average pastor in the pulpit, probably, because you could, you tend to focus on practical things and what's in front of you, um, probably misunderstands Calvinism. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. And we, you know, because he gets such short treatment in the great controversy, 
um, we tend to take that as a cue to give them that short of treatment in our theological thinking. Yep. But they would give this outsized treatment to Martin Luther for good reason, you know, 95 mm-hmm. theses and here I stand and everything. But guess, guess what? Guess what Luther believed in? Predestination. Mm-hmm. Luther was a Calvinist. Let's more on details at 11, folks. Details at 11. Yeah, join us for the after party <laughs> when we talk about Luther being a Calvinist. Oh, these are brilliant okay. men. Now, now brilliant. my head is spinning on its neck. No. <laughs> but you, you but you so but I think you've mentioned that predestination yeah, thing in yeah. every podcast we've done I have, for yeah, a few occasions and it is important. So I joke about it and you know John Calvin or whatever har har you know, Reformation jokes. <laughs> I know I'm sure everybody at home is uh, just laughing their tails off. But um, Don't, don't stop listening. Yeah, don't stop listening because <laughs> telling theology jokes over here. But uh, you've mentioned it in every podcast we've done, and it is important. I agree with you, and I'm glad you've done it because God has a plan. God's yeah. mapped it out. You can look at predestination sort of that way, yeah. right? We're in this world. God given, has given us a map. Yep. In different formats. You have the book of nature, you have the Bible, you have the, the, the life of Christ, you have the testimony of the Spirit. You know, all these elements, right? He's given us the map. We can choose, right? He's laid out the trails. I guess you can look at it that way. He's laid out the trails. What trail you decide to follow is on you, but the trail's laid out. You're, you don't have to blaze a new trail. You know, being a Christian isn't like right. in reinventing the wheel every day. Right. And when you mentioned predestined, I've tried, I've been thinking, because I noticed that, that you just mentioned it every single yeah. episode. It's important. And I'm trying to think how to make it relatable. And, and I, I, I think we, I think the Sabbath school lessons are, are really per, wonderful, and we go through slowly one book per quarter, but we miss the fact this was a letter was sent to the church at Ephesus. They sat down one day. I don't know, would it take an hour to read it out loud? Maybe not even that long, 30 yeah, minutes? 30 minutes, yeah. 30 minutes, sit down, read it, and everybody's sitting there, oh, okay, I get it. Now we, the chapter one was like, what, 10 weeks ago. So, you know, you we forget that. And and if, if you were the church at Ephesus, you'd say, oh, we're predestined to be children of God and also, this is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. This is what we do now. We got the the the, the, the uh, breastplate of righteousness. We've got the belt of truth. We are ready. We are able to proactively engage in waging peace. Mm-hmm. And and that's a powerful thing. That going back to what you said, Roger here, that peace isn't the absence of war. It is. Peace is not just when the war stops. It is when we come together. It's like after the Civil War, you know, when the war was over, somebody asked Lincoln, how are you going to treat the Southerners? And, you know, some people wanted to really, you know, not be nice, um, uh, you know, know, be mean to them. And he said something to the effect, and I'm trying to remember, it was something to the effect that we will, (sighs) do you remember Roger and, and Tom? It was something profound. It was like we will treat them Maybe it was well, the second inaugural address, uh, malice towards none, charity for all. Well, that's it, but it was something more specific. And maybe he went so far as to say, and somebody's going to listen to this podcast and say, hey, no, you got it wrong, but we, it, we, will, it, we will treat them as if they never left or we never had this 
you know. Well, that, that, that started right at the beginning, right? That's a good example. So you have Appomattox Courthouse. Right. right? Lee surrenders to Grant. Yep. And, um, and, and, and this, like, just amazing sort of, like, element of grace. They know that they're sending these guys back to these, like, country villages where firearms are a necessary tool, right? They have to hunt and do those things to, in order to survive. And they allow these soldiers who just spent four years waging war against the U.S. government. In a, in a rebellion to carry their guns home mm-hmm. because they knew like to take their guns away would have been for some of them probably a death sentence yeah right if they were living in frontier areas and then you have general lee general lee comes out of the 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 house where they signed the treaty and the union soldiers give him a full salute they give him full treat him yep. just like as if he was a union officer of course he was at one point a union officer yeah that's not just to relate interesting civil war history but it's an it's an it's it's an example of grace and forgiveness yeah all right we've we've stopped we're going to actively wage peace now right we've actively said we're going to stop fighting but now we have to do something that shows that we're at peace and you know and and that's really a powerful thing you just said because we we we're we're, we're talking here in 2023 Uh, politically we are about as fractured as you possibly can get it could probably get worse because don't say it can't get worse because then it will um but as christians as as followers of christ we're called to wage peace mm-hmm. and somehow um and and i'm saying that also in there's anecdotally there's countless fractured relationships and so we're called to put on the footwear and and bring this bring some peace and and I, time is ticking on because he talks about the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and it's interesting he put it like that because the devil is going to shoot flaming arrows at us period yeah. this is not like if you know um you know if it happens it's going to happen and it may not be how we expect, like we talked about earlier, but it may be something, just that subtle, little, subtle thing that pops, thoughts pops in our minds. And it's always important to pull, point out, because in my younger years, I didn't understand this. I, it took going through rough times in my life for me to realize this, but being a Christian provides you with no reasonable expectation of an easy life. Oh. You had yeah. better expect a bumpy road once you take undertake the christian walk and that's not because the christian walk is itself bumpy right right? his yoke his burden is light and you know um his yoke is easy and his burden is light but the world and the forces these principalities and powers that paul talks about that are influencing the world they're not going to make things easy on us and we we take we just take it for granted like oh god's going to take care of everything well yes that is true so far as it goes but there are other spiritual entities at work in this world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the flaming arrows and the helmet of salvation, that's a powerful imagery right there. The helmet, we know how important that is. We, you know, it's our brain bucket, you know, and it's there. And, and if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you hit somebody in the head, it's, it's pretty much done, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, and then, of course, you've got... Uh, the sword of the spirit, which you talked about, if we started. Yeah, about. why salvation helmet? What do you think? 
I'm going to put, this is the English teacher talking now. Okay. Give me some textual interpretation, guys. Why this, why the, I, I have an idea, but I just want to see what you guys, I want to know what you guys think. Why the helmet of, why is salvation the helmet? Because in Genesis, Christ, no, I don't know. I don't know. I was going to say the head is crushed, which indicates, you know, Christ crushed the head of Satan, mm -hmm. thereby killing him. But with the helmet of salvation, we do not get crushed. But, okay. But that's kind of, nah, I'm taking that back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just thinking, thinking of something I'm, very simple. Yep. I, I, I'm thinking of just having that, that, that mental, like, acknowledgement assurance of our salvation no i think that's right because mm. usually like when we question our salvation it's usually up here yeah right it's not here you have that righteous breastplate right if we if we if we make our best effort you know to, to cultivate that righteousness those virtues that we talked about you know we can that's the outer part right what's the first you know wide mm -hmm. chest you know broad shoulders here i am you know like i can present this to the world but then the, the deep questioning of our salvation doesn't come from outside, right? Like oh, yeah. It comes yep, from inside. Yep. And so yeah. if that helmet of salvation is protecting those, that, those, those, those questioning thoughts from getting in there, like I know, I know that my salvation is assured, not because I'm predestined, not in the Calvinist sense, right. but I'm predestined because God wants me to be. Jesus died and rose again so that I could, right? If God was willing to go through that for me, then I can rest assured that he's going to, you know, as I travel this path, he's going to be there with me. That's kind of what I think you're yeah, right sure. on our, that mental element. Yeah, our, our our salvation, the assurance of our salvation comes, you know, comes in Christ. It comes because because of Christ, not because of of anything that we've done. So our assurance is in Christ. Yeah. Salvation yeah. is from Christ. It has nothing to do with us. So we can have that assurance. Yeah. So... I just thought that was an interesting question because those are the types yeah. of, those are the types of texts we get on Sabbath morning. Like, you know, yep. what is what does it mean, helmet of salvation? You know, I think yep. I think it was it's important to explore that sort of stuff. Paul's using this imagery for a reason. Absolutely, he's being intentional. He, you know, yep. he didn't just say like, well, what could, what could be the belt? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it'll be truth. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So before time runs off, because we we want to touch on eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and pray. This is really. Another powerful sentence here, and dare I say command, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And I like the fact that this is where he is saying, look, we're not lone warriors. Mm -hmm. We're not lone rangers. We are doing this together. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And I love that. The gospel, my friend, is a mystery. And for which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And again, remember, Paul is saying these words and today go anywhere in the United States of America and you say, I'm a Christian. Oh, okay, I kind of know what you're, what, who you are, what you believe. He was essentially plowing new fields. He is going in there with this whole new uh, theology and that, you know, 
this is the key. He wants to get it to Rome. He wants to get it to all the world. And people are looking at him, what are you talking about? And and he's talking a different language, different assumptions, different viewpoint, all because he really he really was pursued God's will and he had that Damascus Road experience. So um, any thoughts about verse 18, 19, and 20? I see the word pray, and and I don't, you know, we really, I like to say, I, I don't think we need to pray more. I think we need to pray more as real people in the spirit. Pray more better. Pray more better. There you go. That's a pray more better. <laughs> and you is saying that in the presence of an English teacher. Is that going to be right. your chapel talk next uh, Wednesday? Yeah, maybe so. Or Tuesday, I mean? Pray more better? No, I have something else lined up for Tuesday. Oh, yeah. next Thursday. Pray maybe more maybe better. I like that. <laughs> That's a good way to, yeah, pray more better. Quality, yeah. equality over right. quantity. Yep. Right. Yep. Got a question for you guys. At the end of verse 17, what, what grammatical mark do you guys have? I have a colon. I have a comma. You have a comma? What do you have? A comma. You have a comma. I've got a colon, and that makes me it makes me think that what's coming after the description of the of the um, weapons of warfare, the, the armor of God, what's coming after that is how we wield the armor of God. It's, we, we wield them in prayer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, at the end. Oh, I see. At the end of verse 17? Yeah. After oh. God's word, period. You got a period? Yeah. Okay. yeah we have and a that's period, in the yeah. English translation, obviously. There's no punctuation sure. in yeah. the Greek. Yeah. yeah. That's why I'm asking different translations. I'm looking at the Greek right now to see. What what grammatical so, mark does it have there? There's no Oh. There's no punctuation in Greek. So we can put it whatever we want just, to there. Just ran all together. <laughs> we we all yeah. And and uh What's the famous one we deal with? Uh, Christ on the cross. I tell you the truth today. You'll be with me. Where's the comma? You know. That's right. But um, you got to look at the context. You got to look at the context, yeah. and and I think you bring up an excellent point because you know what really fosters our prayer life. And by prayer, I'm not talking about getting on our knees and doing a five, ten, fifteen, twenty minute prayer and then getting up. Prayer, you know. Paul isn't advocating any particular posture here. No. Prayer is our breath. and that's Pray, with, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And that's he says, hey, praying always with all prayer, all kinds exactly. of prayers. And so as we are here uh, recording this podcast, I hope and I pray that our prayer, our words, our prayers, that we would say the same thing. Well, if Jesus was physically sitting here, we would say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Right. But, um, you know, we, we would do everything in the context of God's presence. Well, I think, too, I, I don't have any, this is all speculation. Just looking at, just briefly looking at the Greek with no, con, no, uh, uh, con, um, not concordance, uh, lexicon or anything like that. But just to go to your point, right? Take the helmet of, sal- helmet of salvation, right? And this is intellect. Right, we're talking like you know, intellect is often the, the the danger to questioning or salvation, and the sword of the spirit, right? So the spirit communicates with us, right, through our intellect, right? He impresses our mind, right, which is God's word, which is the other way. That's a very intellectual thing. Of course, God's word is also Christ Himself, 
and then with every prayer and request pray at all times with with in the spirit the spirit that communicates you and gives you the weapon of the sword there's a little bit of parallel i don't know that there's really parallelism there but i think there is a connection because like praying more better how should we live our lives according to so the spirit inspires us to live our lives a certain way how can we confirm what we think the spirit is telling us with the word how should how can we find out the things we ought to be seeking in prayer through the word right this becomes our standard and i think there's something to be said through for there's uh there's a few books out there about praying praying through the bible mm -hmm. yeah. you know oh, yeah. um and i think that that's that's important too yeah listen i looked at our little uh timer countdown thing here and and we are approaching 60 minutes and to those who are listening, we hope you don't feel like you just wasted 60 minutes of your life. Because, because we got 60 more for you. We got 60 more coming. Lesson number 14. Oh, no, I meant right now. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Dang. Um, so, listen, next podcast will really be kind of an overview of the book of Ephesians. So, we're really going to try to, in 60 minutes or less, uh, summarize chapter 1 all the way to the end here, uh, chapter 6 and touch on some of the high points and so we hope that this has been a blessing to you and um on that note i'm gonna ask pastor tom if you would pray for us as we close i'd be happy to dear god heavenly father lord we just thank you so much for loving us for having a plan for us amen yep and giving us the opportunity to choose to make use of that plan or not mm. lord and being gracious Father, we, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that is given to us to connect us to, so we can live in your presence at all times, so we can have the, the power to live out your will in our lives, so mm -hmm. we can have the, the guidance to make wise choices in this world, mm -hmm. so that we can be light in darkness, so we can know how to wield the weapons of warfare Father, we just thank you so much for every good gift which comes from heaven, which comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tom and Roger, and, and uh, thank you for allowing us to be part of your life. We hope that this has been a blessing to you. And um, as I say, like us on uh, Spotify or whatever. Like, subscribe. Subscribe. That's what it is. That's what it is. Leave us a comment. If we get if we get a million subscribers. <laughs> now, but seriously, please send us an email. You can send it to the office at office at wercc.net, W-E-A-R-E-C-C, the letter C-C dot N-E-T. May God be with you, and we hope you'll be able to join us on our next podcast. Have some questions about the discussion or would like to participate in a live Sabbath school class, please join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. for Sabbath school and 11.15 for our worship service at 337 Main Street, South Lancaster, Massachusetts. This has been a production by the College Church's Communication slash Media Ministry. If you are blessed by this podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe. Join us next week for another lesson and let us all remember to love more, grow more, and serve more.